We are um, going to do chapter 18 tonight. I don't know. I'm not even going to make any promises. We'll see how it goes, whether we finish it or not. Um, 20 bucks on that. Yeah. <laughs> Place your bets, right? Um, remember that chapter 17, we've seen this Babylon already. But in chapter 17, it is the religious Babylon. In chapter 18, we're seeing the commercial or economic Babylon. In chapter 17, it's very figurative. In chapter 18, it seems very literal. You, you recall in chapter 17, you've got you know the seven hills, and the seven hills are seven kings, and all of these kind of things that it will say. That It, it explains that it's symbolic. We don't see any of that in chapter 18. It seems very literal. In chapter 17, the Babylon is hated. And we see that it's just being used by the beast. In chapter 18, this Babylon is loved. This Babylon is, is going to be mourned for because they love what comes out of her. And so... You have to understand those two comparisons that we're seeing the religious aspect, even though it's a false religious aspect, the woman is hated by the beast. And now we're seeing a different side of it. And before we get started in it, I just want to kind of give you here a little bit of Zechariah 5, verse 5. It says this, then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, Lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, What is it? And he said, It is the basket that is going forth. He also said, This is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket, threw the lead cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, To build a house for it in the land of Shinar. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base." So here we're seeing a woman, wickedness, and she seems to be taken to Shinar. And that's primarily the reason that I'm showing you this, is it seems that this woman, if it's the same one, which there seems to be a lot of indications that it may be, is taken to Babylon, Shinar. In the plains of Shinar is where the Tower of Babel was being built. And so the question that I really want to ask is more, is this the, a spiritual showing of Babylon or the Babylonian spirit, you might say, that has gone out into the whole world? Shinar or Babylon, as we've talked about many times, is really the place of Nimrod, the center of idolatry and commerce, the beginning of all of that. After the flood, it goes to Babel, and Babel is where they wanted to make a one-world government. There's a certain spirit that seems to be there that keeps coming back. And I don't know if any of you have read Jonathan Kahn's book, Return of the Gods. Uh, he did an interview with Glenn Beck here a couple of weeks ago. It might be worth a read. It's very interesting and in basically talking about when a house is swept clean, if it's not filled with, with God, the demons come back seven times more powerful. And he was talking about that America, you know, God, Jesus, when he came, the gospel swept the area clean. But as long as the church was strong, they wouldn't come back. But as the church began to compromise, as they began to fall away, as it became more Babylonian, 
then those spirits began to come back. And they didn't just come back, they came back more powerful. And the coincidences just seem to be way too many to be coincidences of what's going on in America with what goes on with the roots of Babylon, Ishtar, and so on, Molech. Things like, I think it was Ishtar, when they would worship her, and this is all recorded, and he's got this cited in his book, but when they would worship her, not only would they have many colors of the rainbow, but they would have parades and the priests would dress up as women and they would speak in women's voices and they would say that you are neither male nor female. The very same things that we're seeing, the same spirit coming back in America today. And so the question I want you to think about as a possibility is that is America have that Babylonian spirit those same things that came out of Babylon, Ishtar, Nimrod, uh, all these other gods. And I think that the answer, as I think most of you here have seen, we clearly have Babylonian influence in our churches today. We ask, why do you do the things we do? Well, it's just this. And we, we can argue, well, it's not pagan. It's this. Well, is it biblical? Where does it come from? What are the roots? And so I find it interesting that it's placed here in Shinar. We're going to talk a little bit. We mentioned a little bit last week or whenever it was in regards to where is this Babylon? Is it the United States? Is it literally Babylon? As we said, Saddam Hussein was rebuilding that city. The gates have been put back up. And by the way, um, even in New York, uh, they even dedicated, uh, a, it's like the gateway of the country, and they built an arch of Baal there. It literally is called the Arch of Baal when they dedicated this and all of that. It's almost like New York is an entrance, a gateway of evil. And they had priests of Baal all for this very large celebration and dedication um, I believe it was near the, the Twin Towers, uh, and this was just not too many years ago. What was the thing I saw just this last year with some golden cow thing? That was well, there's a big... Dedicated to some library or something? Well, the, on Wall Street, That's they put up the bull, and you know we talk about a bull market, but it is literally... Uh, I mean, when you look at it and when you see how it was dedicated, we'll kind of touch on this. Jonathan Kahn also talked about that in his Harbinger. Uh, the, the coincidences are way too many to be an accident. If you haven't read the Harbinger, you need to read the Harbinger as well. Um, there have been some criticisms of it because they say, well, that was for Israel. I think, as you know, because we've talked and seen so much in Scripture, what was for Israel is for us and what happened to Israel will happen again. And I think the same thing we're seeing here in chapter 18, what happened to the Babylon of Daniel's day is a symbol and a picture and a foreshadowing of end times. Because the very things that we're going to read about in Scripture tonight, you are going to see also repeated in the book of Revelation, which tells us that that was just prophetic of a future event. God didn't just record that for history's sake, but for prophetic purposes as well. I know Paul Washer may not be everyone's favorite pastor due to some of his theological beliefs, but at the same time, he had a lot of good. He said, America, American Christianity is based more on a godless culture than it is the Word of God. I might even say maybe you could say that American Christianity has been based more on Babylonian culture than the Word of God. In Luke 14, verse 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and is his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. 
In essence, Christ warned us that there were going to be hardships in our relationships in order to follow him. And it was only going to get harder. In John 16, 1 through 4, he says that the persecution you were going to experience was really even going to come from your own brethren, from inside the church. He's talking about going into the synagogues here, and he says the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God services, that these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me, but these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. He says people are going to persecute you, but they're going to think that they're serving God to do so. I think many of you have already seen some of that, that standing up for truth and the word of God. It's the Christians that care. It's the Christians that criticize. It's the Christians that mock. It's the Christians that shun. And Jesus says, I told you this, so you remember that I told you this. <laughs> yeah. It, and they don't understand. So, in this chapter, there's going to be no more return or coming back of the stock market, as you're going to see. When God's judgment takes place, it's done. We keep hearing, you know, from financial advisors, well, you know, this is what happened in the past, and history shows us this. And You're going to see there's a time coming when it's over. It doesn't bounce back. And that's going to be the destruction of this commercial economic Babylon. So let's get started in Revelation 18, verse 1. It says this, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. I mean, just take that in for a moment. The whole earth being illuminated by the glory of God. I mean, that, that's exciting. He cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. It has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. So, all of this pointing to unclean things or specifically it seems demons and evil spirits that... That is what inhabits Babylon. I find it very interesting, this idea of a hated bird. We're going to kind of show you some things here in a moment with birds. But when we look at the parable of the sower, who is it that tries to steal the seed? Birds. When we see God giving Abraham the covenant, the animals were split in half. Who comes to try to intervene? Birds. Abraham tries to chase them off. God puts them to sleep. Say, this isn't your battle. This is my promise to you. Over and over again, when we speak of birds, scripturally, outside of the dove, it's demonic. I'll come share a little bit more in a moment with that. But here in Jeremiah 50, verse 39, so desert creatures and hyenas will live there, speaking of Babylon, and there the owl will dwell. It will never again be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. In order to fully understand what we're going to be talking about tonight, I'm going to give you a homework assignment to go read. We're going to get bits and pieces of it tonight, but go read Jeremiah 50, Jeremiah 51, Ezekiel 27, and you're going to see the exact same thing. And I think that after we go through this tonight, and you go back and read it, you're going to go, oh, wow, yeah, 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 that's Revelation. So we read here in Jeremiah 51, verse 37, Babylon will be a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, an object of horror and scorn, a place where no one lives. Whatever this Babylon city is, it is going to be destroyed and will never, ever be inhabited again. And I think that that is important to understand because there's much that I do not understand in Revelation. 
But I know that shortly after this, you are about to see the millennial reign begin. And it seems like we're in Jerusalem. And then you're going to see, it tells us in Zechariah 14 and a couple other places, that there are people outside of Jerusalem. Who are they? I don't know. Outside of these are they that attack, but survive somehow. And it says, these are the ones that are supposed to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles year after year. And if they do not come and do so, they will have no rain. Are these people living outside of Jerusalem but not in Babylon anymore? They're not allowed to go back to this wilderness, to this area? I, I don't know. But it's something to think about. All I know is it will never be inhabited again. We know that the Babylon of Daniel's day was destroyed. It was not inhabited again until Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild it. Now, he has failed. It has not been completely rebuilt. I mean, he, he had a palace there. He's rebuilt the walls, um, all of that. But it really hasn't been inhabited, per se. So some things to kind of think about as we get into this. But... Before we go, I just want you to see the demonic aspect of Babylon here and the birds being mentioned. We hear time and time again the parable of the mustard seed or the leaven. Very short parables. I've got the entire thing right here. And we hear it says another parable he put forth to them saying this in Matthew 13, 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed it in his field which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. How many of you have heard that this is the gospel? That the gospel is that little tiny seed, and when you plant that seed, it grows and becomes this huge tree so that everybody can come and sit in it, and, and it's a gospel going forth and spreading. I mean, that's what I've grown up hearing constantly. Same thing as it continues in verse 33, another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And that's the gospel. You put just that little bit of gospel out in the world and it's going to spread. Has that been your experience, just out of curiosity? Not mine. If it was, our public schools would be Christian. How many years... Do we continue to say, oh, but our kids need to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world? And then what happens? Our children get contaminated often. But I go back 10 years, it's only gotten worse. 10 years ago, it was worse than it was 20. 20 years ago, it was worse than it was 30. We have not gained any ground. The leaven hasn't spread and filled the dough. Instead, I don't think that this is a gospel message. This is Jesus' warning that the church is going to become corrupt. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And a man is going to sow it in the field. Yes, it's very small, but when it's grown, it's greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. So that what happens? Yes, the gospel has grown. It has become a big tree, but what has happened is the birds have come and made nests in it. The same thing with the leaven. And again, I'm, I'm not going to make this, I could do a whole message just on this alone, backing this up. But birds in Scripture almost exclusively are in reference to demonic things. I don't think this is the spread of the gospel. This is a warning that the church is going to become corrupt as time goes on. Leaven in Scripture, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Always bad, really. I mean, yes, there are certain... You know, we see in Amos, he says, go add leaven to your feasts. He's being sarcastic because you aren't supposed to have leaven in your offerings. We see, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Over and over, we see leaven as a negative thing in Scripture. And now here, all of a sudden, Matthew 13, we try to make it the gospel. 
It seems to be false doctrine, letting Scripture interpret Scripture. And so basically you could say maybe the kingdom of heaven is like false doctrine, which a woman took, hid in three measures of meal until the whole batch was contaminated by false doctrine. That's been my experience in life. A little bad company corrupts good character. Saw that when I was teaching time and time again, even in Christian schools. A bad apple came into the classroom pretty soon. You've got all kinds of kids doing things that they weren't supposed to be doing. Look, I apologize for that. I don't know. So, point being, I think even Scripture predicted, as a matter of fact, there's other verses that I'm not going to go through tonight that warns us that the church will become apostate. He warns the church will persecute you. He says, and I think this is why, judgment begins with the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? He talks about grace and judgment coming first to the Jew then to the Gentile. He expects more from you, but he has warned us. And I think that the Christianity of America looks very leavened. We have no fear of God, as we've talked about. Antinomial, anti-law, that if anybody wants to obey God, they're considered legalistic. I mean, we could go on and on. Jeremiah 50 again, verse 11 says, Because you were glad, because you rejoiced, you destroyers of my heritage. Because you have grown fat like a heifer threshing grain, and you bellow like bulls, your mother shall be deeply ashamed. She who bore you shall be ashamed. I'm going to stop there for a moment. It's talking about Babylon here. Now this is what's fascinating to me. Who is the mother of Babylon? It was like the first. It seems to be the mother. Which makes you wonder, is this more than just the Babylon of Daniel's day, but prophetic of what we read in Revelation? I'm not saying Babylon is the United States of America or maybe New York City. I don't know, but I'm telling you this, it's in the running. And then I don't I guess this would be Britain would be our mother if that be the case. But typically when we hear of what Babylon is, it's Jerusalem, New York City, or Babylon. I don't think it's Jerusalem. I don't see that happening here. Jerusalem will never be inhabited again. That doesn't make sense. So the general consensus through the process of elimination, seems to be we could be Babylon. Again, I'm not dogmatic on that. But of commentaries and what people say, now, by the way, some will maybe say Rome and the Vatican and that kind of thing. Okay, Could be in the run, but there's some things that don't fit there too. But we'll see here as you go on. But anyway, behold, the least of the nations shall be a wilderness, a dry land and a desert, because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited, but she shall be wholly desolate. Everyone who goes by Babylon shall be horrified and hiss at her plagues. So, keep that in mind, because this is going to be revelation. In verse 3, it says, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This seems to indicate that whatever this Babylon is, let's just say for the sake of argument, it's New York City. New York City didn't just affect New York City. New York City has affected the world. I mean, when you go to any country, and if they think of the United States of America, do you know what city they think of? New York. The Big Apple. The gateway to America. <coughs> All nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. 
and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Now, granted, we've got L.A. and other places that, you know, are just as awful and luxurious. But New York City has been, throughout history, this city, it seems. We've already discussed much of that fornication back in chapter 14, verse 8, so we're not going to go into great detail on that again. But they, they lavish themselves with material things, earthly treasures. And then I can't think, stop but think of the sex trafficking, that, sex trafficking that goes on with the elite. I know some might consider it conspiratorial, but Pizzagate, I... There's too much evidence in my mind and, and that I've seen to prove the elites and the sex trafficking and the things that have gone on and much of it even in New York. But it isn't just New York. It has gone around the world. We know today that Ukraine is a hub of sex trafficking. We know you can go up to the interstate, and we know that much of it can even go on in Omaha. That fornication has gone through to all nations around the world. And we're not immune to it here, even in little old Nebraska. You know, in Matthew 6, 19, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He warned us not to be luxurious. He warned us not to get caught up in the things of this world. Now, I'm not saying that we can't have nice things. I have nice things. I have a lot of nice things. Sometimes I sit back and I'm amazed at what God has blessed us with. But God can have it all. The government, they can have it. Doesn't matter. Where your heart is is where your treasure is going to be. If we allow these treasures to be things that are our goals that we're chasing after, let me tell you, sell it all. Remember that rich man Jesus said, he said, all these things I have done. He gave him some commandments. I've done it all. What do I lack? What do I still lack? Go sell all your things and then come follow me. And he goes away sad because he was a very rich man. We have, it's harder to get to heaven for a rich man to get to heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And we've talked about this before, about how many people say, well, that's like a camel. It had to get down on its knees because this little doorway was called the eye of the needle. Nonsense. It was possible. Jesus, the disciples say, who can be saved? And God, Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, it's possible. That ought to tell you that we should not desire riches. Because otherwise, if our heart is for the riches of this world, you're going to join the throng of Babylon. And one of Satan's ploys to distract us in Christianity has been money and possessions, homes, cars, boats, guns, clothes, jewelry, whatever. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> All of these things. And again, I'm not saying you, it's wrong to have these things. It's the heart. Will you give them up? Would you be willing to give them up today? If Jesus came and said, sell all you have, come follow me. If your answer, if you're going to go away sad or, well, that'd be tough, then maybe Babylon has affected you more than you realize. Luke 14. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests at that time. Of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. 
Don't make excuses and fall in love with the world. Because that's the point of this parable is that people are going to be too busy and in love with the things of this world. You might remember me talking about in Luke 17, in Matthew 24 maybe, I don't know, but where it says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, being given in marriage, uh, right up to the day that Noah entered into the ark. And so many people look at this and see how, oh yeah, just as it was in the days of Noah, all the violence, just as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be. Look at all the homosexuality today. But when Jesus describes what they were doing, there isn't one sinful thing that was being done. They were eating, buying, selling, marrying, being given in marriage, planting. Nothing is mentioned of sin. The whole point is they got so caught up in Babylon, so caught up in what this world had to offer. And Jesus says that's what it's going to be like before the Son of Man comes again. I'll tell you what, the church is, we're loaded, we're rich. In America, anyway. <coughs> we're loaded. And we've got all kinds of excuses not to follow God. Not to, to do what we've been called to do. Has Babylon affected you? I think of that parable where he talks about the master and he leaves his servants to work. And he says, what is that master going to do when he comes back and he sees them not working? Are you working for God? Or have you been caught up in the spirit of Babylon? Because that's what we see. All nations have drunk the wine of her fornication committed fornication with her, become rich through the abundance of luxury. It goes on in verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. Come out, because otherwise you're going to go down with the ship. I think that is part of the picture of Sodom and Gomorrah. Come out. We don't want to be Lot, like Lot's wife, turning back longing for the things of this world because that is exactly what you're going to see here tonight. When Babylon is destroyed, there are many people who stand afar off longing for what they've lost. That could be us if we don't have the right attitude. Come out lest you receive of her plagues. So what does it mean to come out of Babylon? Does that mean, oh, I live in New York City, I better move just in case it's New York City? No. We're talking about the heart issue of the luxuries, the fornication, the, not, you know, the, the complacency, the excuses, the not following God. But let me show you, this isn't just revelation that says, get out of there. It's everywhere. Jeremiah 51, 45, Come out of her, my people. Run for your lives. Run from the fierce anger of the Lord. The wrath of God is going to come upon Babylon. And he says, run. Don't walk. Don't say, I'll do it someday. Get out now. Isaiah 48, 20, Leave Babylon. Flee from the Babylonians. Announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. I love that. You don't leave like, oh man, I'm going to miss it. You leave joyful with shouts of joy. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. I have no time for Babylon. I could care less about the luxury she has to offer. I could care less about that. Couldn't care less. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, Jordan. You're welcome, Tara. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 16 and 17. 
What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are not, or for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. This wasn't talking about Babylon per se in the New Testament. This is telling you, you're supposed to be different than the world. Yet today, in America anyway, there is very little difference between the Christian that goes to church on Sunday and the guy that doesn't go to church on Sunday. Very little difference. You can hear the same dirty jokes. You can talk about the same TV shows. You can talk about the same music you listen to. You can even talk about the same boats and motorcycles and homes and cars that you own. There's very little difference. Now again, I am speaking in general terms here as a majority, but I realize that's not every Christian. Genesis 19.15, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and two daughters who are here and you will be, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When Lot lived among the Sodomites, his family was affected by their sins because only two out of the ten in his family came out alive. Had Lot gotten out of Sodom earlier, maybe all ten of his family would have survived. This isn't just about you. God says, come out of her, my people. Get out of Babylon as well, because if you don't, you're going to affect your children. If you show them that he who dies with the most toys wins, then more than likely that's going to be their goal in life too. If you show them that we're here and God has given us a purpose to go and share the gospel, to follow Christ, to be a light for him, chances are that's what you're going to see in them. We even see here in Jeremiah 51, verse 6, Flee from Babylon, run for your lives, do not be destroyed because of her sins. It's time for the Lord's vengeance. He will pay her for what she deserves. That's what we're going to read about here shortly. Jeremiah 50, verse 8 and following, Flee out of Babylon, leave the land of the Babylonians. Be like the goats that lead the flock, for I will stir up and bring against Babylon an alliance of great nations from the land of the north. Now that's interesting. Whoever this Babylon is, where is her destruction going to come from? The north. Hmm. Russia? China? I don't know. Did you know that most of the nuclear weapons in America pointed at Russia fly over the North Pole? Hmm. No. Interesting. The, the nuclear weapons, most the of them distance. fly from the North Pole. So coming from the North, destruction could come. How about Islam? We've talked about Islam and the possibility of that when we look back. That certainly could be North. I don't know. These are just possibilities. These are things to store in your mind, but it says that. They will take up their positions against her, and from the north she will be captured. Their arrows will be like skilled warriors who do not return empty-handed. So Babylonia, Babylonia will be plundered. Now, keep in mind, in Daniel's day, that's what happened. They came from the north. But what it seems to be, where we're seeing Revelation saying the exact same things, that is a picture of end times as well. Isaiah 52, verses 10 through 12. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. What's an unclean thing, by the way, church? Okay. And, and I'm not talking to you, church. I'm talking about church. Why is God making a distinction between clean and unclean, even in the New Testament? Why does he do that if it means nothing? Touch no unclean thing. Come out of her. Come out of it and be pure. You who carry the vessels of the Lord, but you will not leave in haste or go in, fl in flight, for the Lord will go before you. So those who come out of her, you're not going to be on your own. 
The Lord will go with you. He's going to go before you. He's going to fight your battles. He's going to take care of you. Verse 5 of Revelation 18, getting back to it, it says, For her sins have reached to heaven, speaking of Babylon, and God has remembered her iniquities, rendered to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed. Mixed double for her. Remember, we just saw in chapter 17, this woman has a golden cup in her hand. And God is saying, you know, all of this golden cup, the luxuries and everything that you've been offering them, I'm going to pour it double strength on you of destruction. Um, in verse 6 of Revelation here, it says that Babylon receiving that double portion from her own cup. So I think that's interesting as well, because what she pours out is wickedness, destruction. And so that's what you're seeing, abominable things going on here. In Jeremiah 51, verse 9, we would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed. Let us leave her and each go to his own land, for her judgment reaches to the skies. Again, that was talking about the Babylon in Daniel's day, but here we just see that in Revelation. Her sins have reached to heaven. Or Jeremiah 50, verse 15, shout against her on every side. She surrenders, her towers fall, her walls are torn down since this is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her, do to her as she has done to others. That's what we're reading here in Revelation. Do to her as she has done, but make it double. Psalm 137, verse 8, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. This is what lies ahead for those who do not follow God. Verse 7 of Revelation continues, In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. She sounds boastful. She sounds proud. Sounds almost like Ezekiel 27 and Satan who speaks boastfully and is very proud. Again, kind of sobering for us in America as if you ever have read or do read The Harbinger. The pride of America, one of the things of The Harbinger was Isaiah 9.10. It says, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. When the Twin Towers fell, uh, David... No, yeah, David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson put out a newsletter, and I still have it in my office to this day, where he used that verse to show the pride. This verse is in relation to when Israel was attacked by Assyria. At first, you know, it was a big hit for him, but they said, hey, we've been, you know, hit, but we're going to come back better. We're going to come back stronger. And they didn't repent. And God had sent them as a warning. Since they didn't repent, God sent them back and they destroyed it for good. And so Wilkerson was talking about this. Years later, Jonathan Kahn writes his book. As we see, this was unfolded in every way. I can show you video clips of about five different politicians quoting this very verse, or should I say misquoting, because they were talking about it as we as America, we're going to build back stronger. We're, and they quote this exact verse, not realizing that God in, in Scripture, this is pronouncing their own doom. And when the Twin Towers fell, we've got all these politicians pronouncing their own doom in pride. Not repentance, not waking up, 
but we're going to come back better and stronger. As a matter of fact, there was a sycamore tree at St. John Chapel, which is exactly where I think it was Washington. They said a prayer and it was kind of the, the beginning of America. And Jonathan Kahn is going to talk about some verses of talking about where it begins, that's where it ends kind of thing. Judgment will come there. And we see that one of the beams of the Twin Towers came and tore down that tree. Guess what they replaced it with? A cedar tree. The bricks have fallen, but we'll replace with hewn stones. And you go there today and you have these huge, many-ton hewn stones made as monuments. And at that monument, at the dedication of that monument, this verse is quoted by the politicians. And I could go on and on and on about the, the comparisons. I don't think America is any different than what we see right here in verse 7. I sit as queen, I'm no widow. Okay, I'm not going to see sorrow. We're going to come back better. We're going to be build it back better. I'm not saying that that can't happen with repentance, but that's not what they're talking about. Go look at the harbinger. You'll be amazed. I also think we have this attitude, well, God is always going to be with us. We're America. We were founded on godly principles. God's not going to turn His back on America. I think that this I am no widow might have deeper meaning. Church, bride. God's not going to leave me. The bridegroom will never turn his back on us. Well, you're right, as believers. But this country is no longer standing on Christian principles. The churches are barely standing on Christian principles in many cases, most cases. Isaiah 47, 7 through 8, you said, I will continue forever, the eternal queen. Look at this same language. But you did not consider these things or reflect on what might happen. Now then, listen, you wanton creature, longing in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Same thing in Revelation. Psalm 10, verse 6, he says to himself, nothing will shake me, I'll always be happy and never have trouble. <laughs> yeah. Those are not the words of humble people, are they? And this is what Babylon is about. Verse 8, therefore her plagues will come in one day. And you're going to see that one day is even going to be more specific here in the next verses. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Some think this might be a nuclear bomb that takes out Babylon. I don't know. But they look at that passage I opened up with in the lead basket. The lead. Why lead? Radiation, it blocks radiation. Okay, little things like that. You'd see in Zechariah, it talks about a scroll, and the scroll flying through the air has really weird dimensions. It just so happens to be the dimensions of what we might call missiles today. You're going to see indications possibly of no electricity coming up. And so some say nuclear bomb. I don't know. I'm not saying that, but I'm not going to rule it out either. <coughs> it says here in Isaiah 47, verse 9, Both of these will overtake you in a moment. On a single day, loss of children and widowhood, they will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. Sorceries. You're going to see that word coming up here in Revelation. We'll talk about that coming up, but just take note of it. 
1 Thessalonians 5 says, While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. We've talked about that before, but the point that I want to make with it tonight is this. Who's saying peace and safety? The believers? No. You and I know this world is in trouble. <laughs> but these elites, these crazy people, they actually think they're winning. They think we've got this. We're going to control the world. We're going to, this is going to be good for us. We read that they're the ones that it's going to surprise because they think in their arrogance and their pride and their boastfulness that they're going to win this thing. I truly believe Biden and all these elites, that's exactly what they think. They think we're going to take over, it's all going to be good, but the Bible says, no, you're going to be wiped out. That ought to give you comfort. Verse 9 goes on and it says, The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. He just said in a single day, and now he says one hour. In one hour, judgment comes. One hour, what's going to happen? Smoke, burning, all of this. It's hard to imagine even if you'd light a fire and let the winds go that in one hour you would see an entire city destroyed. But possibly through an atomic bomb. The torment, the fear that they have. This part I like as well. These elites that are boastful and whatnot, they're standing off. It's like, oh boy, I, I could have been there. I could have been part of this. It's a wake-up call. Are these the same people then who later on in the millennial reign are coming up to worship? They don't really, really love God, but they're going to you know, do what he says. They're going to probably hate him. I don't know. But one hour, this is going to take place. Now, the weeping, I think, is going to be for themselves because, again, the, the, selfishly, they're turning inward and, and realizing, man, all my opportunities, all my money, my financial you know, uh, investments, they've been lost. But again, why is she loved? She's loved because of materialism, her possessions. But they're going to be shocked that such a great power like this could be destroyed. The other interesting thing, though, is that the burning is never going to end. If you jump ahead in chapter 19, verse 3 as well, there will be eternal judgment that's going on with these people. But this seems to suggest that while Babylon sits over many nations, that there is a literal city that is the hub. I don't know, you know, you can say, hey, the United Nations thing in New York City. You know, there's, there's a lot of evil that goes on in New York City, a lot of planning, a lot of weird things. Again, I do not know. But what you're going to see is, I don't think it can be Babylon. The only other thing maybe possibly that I can see outside of America in some way, shape, or form would be Rome in some way, shape, or form. I just don't know if Rome has been as, I mean, it has been influential. We'll, we'll, we talked about that here in chapter 17, but yeah, go ahead. It's possible. I just don't know if that has been as financially prosperous for all nations as New York City. But I don't know. 
But again, America in some way, shape, or form, quite possible. Verse 11 goes on and it says, And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. So, <coughs> a long list of material things and spiritual things at the end here. To me, that's the one that sticks out the most, the souls of men. I can see Hollywood. I can see New York. I can see Rome. I can see all of that. Yep, and the sex trafficking is terrible. It has been. I remember even as a little kid. I remember when I was in high school seeing the prostitutes out on the street. Not to say that that's the only place that it goes on. Yeah, yeah, in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'll tell you, Montana, the rural Montana, it's crazy. 20 below, they're out there. Show an ankle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Ezekiel 27, you go read that, it also shows you the great wealth of Babylon and Tyre, the king of Tyre, which is a picture of Satan. But the point is, and we could go through every one of these and, and see, I guess one of the things I'd like you to note is in verse 12, gold, silver, precious stones, pearl, fine linen, okay, scarlet and purple. Does that ring a bell from chapter 17? That was the what the woman wore, and we made a connection there to the Vatican. Okay, and so again, Rome is in the running here. It would just look a little bit different. For all of these things coming out of Rome, I don't see it as much as I do New York City. But who knows? Again, I'm not making predictions. I'm just giving ideas of possibilities. Verse 14, the fruit, of that, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who become rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Just like we read in the previous chapter. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? Babylon, the literal Babylon, it is, I think, like 150 miles away from any coast. Rome, a 30-minute train ride will get you to the water, to the coast. New York, stepping off the sidewalk. Interesting we have a statue of a woman in the Interesting you have a statue of liberty out there, which just happens to be modeled after pagan gods. Yeah. So, verse 18. They cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, the great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. So, 
again, these connections to chapter 17, but there's just some things that don't line up. I could say the same thing perhaps of America here as well. We don't know, and I can't stress that enough. But in Ezekiel 27, it says, The shorelands will quake when your seamen cry out. All who handle the oars will abandon their ships. The mariners and all the seamen will stand on the shore. They will raise their voice and cry bitterly over you. They will sprinkle dust on their heads and roll in ashes. They will shave their heads because of you and will put on sackcloth. They will weep over you with anguish of soul and with bitter mourning. As they wail and mourn over you, they will take up a lament concerning you. Who has ever silenced like Tyre, surrounded by the sea? Now you go and read this again. As I said, it's talking about the king of Tyre, which is Satan. Because you'll see the king of Tyre, he walked among the fiery stones in the Garden of Eden. And so he's taking this, this commercial center of trade, and we're seeing the exact same things. Again, patterns that repeat themselves out history all the way until it's going to be the end here in Revelation. When your merchandise went out on the seas, you satisfied many nations with your great wealth, your wares, you enriched the kings of the earth. Now you're shattered by the sea in the depths of the waters. Your wares and all the company have gone down with you. All who live in the coastlands are appalled at you. Their kings shudder with horror and their faces are distorted with fear. The merchants among the nations hiss at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. You have the throwing of dust on their heads, fear. You have the, the, the mighty trade, the weeping and the bitterness of, of seeing it going. You're seeing surrounded by seas. And you even see, if you continue reading on, that it will be desolate. To this day, this place is desolate. It, they, they cast their nets out to dry fish nets on the rocks. So, again, prophecies repeating themselves, pictures of end times. Verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. So, the prayers of the saints that we read about way back in chapter 6 is now being answered. Remember when they said, How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? That's chapter 6, verse 10. The deliverance begins here and is going to continue in chapter 19 with good things. Earlier in chapter 17, verse 13, we saw that the woman was going to give her power to the beast. Because she was going to trust that beast, at least it seems. But we saw that that beast turned on her. And that beast, because of turning, also brings this destruction. This Jeremiah passage that I'm about to read here now also tells us that this beast comes out of the north. Look what it says. Then... Heaven and earth and all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon. For out of the north, destroyers will attack her, declares the Lord. Which makes you wonder, if the beast is the one that goes after the woman to destroy her, we know that God's the one that's doing it. Will the Antichrist then come out of the north? I don't know. It's just something to think about. Um, again, in reference to earlier talks that we've had, could that be Islam? Seems like a very good possibility in the running, and that would be north. Okay, could be Russia, could be China, could be others. But anyway. Well, if you look even like of us, but especially Jerusalem even, uh, or uh, you're going to have Iraq and Iran and all of those that are up there. I mean, quite a few Islamic countries. So anyway, 
I think most likely Babylon is not a new built city, but is something that's in existence right now. Um, in Jeremiah 51, it says, When you finish reading this scroll, tie a stone to it, throw it into the Euphrates, then say, So will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I will bring upon her, and her people will fall. The words of Jeremiah end here. And here we see in Revelation, Throw her into the sea, throw her down. With great violence, you're cast into the sea. Oh boy, am I going to make it? No. Close. Close, but no, not going to make it. I've got about four slides left, four or five. So I think we're going to call that good tonight. It's going to give you something to think about, but I, the takeout or the take home that I want you to leave with is to really examine yourself because we've seen over and over the Bible is warning to get out of her. Get out of Babylon. And that can be many things and many different things to different people. And I think many of you have already seen some things and are trying to, to get back to the foundation of the Word of God in the Word of God only. And I think that's a great start to get out of Babylon, to not partake of her luxuries and her deceptions so that you don't partake of her destructions as well. And I do not want to leave you with the impression that unless you understand all truth or whatever, that you know these Christians and churches that maybe are, you know, they believe in Jesus, but they just don't quite get it that they're going to hell because they've got Babylonian influences. <clears throat> Jesus Christ saves. And if my salvation is dependent upon me understanding and having all the perfect right doctrine, I'm in trouble. And so are you. So be careful about letting pride or anything like that creep up in your life, thinking that we are better because every year I'm coming up with things like, wow, I have been ignorant. But it's wise and prudent for us to pray, Lord, show me my sins. Show me my errors. Show me these things so that I can walk in your word, walk in your ways, and find favor with you. Not just salvation, but favor that you would consider me worth using for the kingdom of God. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And we do pray, just as I've said, to, to show us our sins. Show us. Reveal the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sins. And if they are ashamed, then make known to us the design of its temple, its exits, its entrances, its arrangements, its entire design. Lord, those are the words that you have told us and we cry out to you Reveal truth to us that we may be ashamed and that you may use us. In the name of Yeshua we pray, amen.